0: Back to another episode of The Truth About Tech. I'm your host, Tori Belici, and today we're going to be talking about uh, our future of power. Our, like, Will we be powering our grids with um, by the power of the ocean? And we have a very special guest, Tim Munden, um, VP of Engineering at Ascilla Power. Um, welcome, Tim.
1: Thank you. Uh, thank you.
0: Now, for people who don't know, could you just give like an overview of what Oscilla Power is?
1: Sure. So Oscilla Power is a technology developer. So in essence, what that means is we're developing technology to try and extract energy from ocean waves and then deliver that power to the grid.
0: And so your background is engineering. That's right. Yeah. So
1: I've been um, I've worked in the field of um, ocean wave energy since I finished my PhD a number of years ago uh, back from the University of Edinburgh. Uh, In case you didn't know, University of Edinburgh has kind of got a long history in developing systems from, uh, you know, ocean wave energy systems. And uh, one of the famous professors there is a guy called Stephen Salter, uh, who's famous. He developed a a, a mechanism for extracting energy or a principle for extracting energy uh, called Salter's Duck uh, many years ago. Uh, It never kind of really got built, uh, but it was uh, exceptionally efficient, if somewhat impractical. And so, so like, what
0: was your background like as a kid? Were you just very curious? I mean, how, how do you go from, you know, <laughs> going to engineering school to becoming one of the leaders in ocean powered electricity? I appreciate you saying that. I,
1: you know, the um, my background is I, okay. So how how I got into kind of wave energy is a bit is a bit interesting in a way. It's as a result of my PhD advisor. I, I didn't really have any concept of it in advance i've always kind of been i guess inquisitive and i'd be more than happy to dismantle something and then put it back together again with less screws oh wait you you would put it back together again see i was Um, i I wouldn't work yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) i was the kind of kid that would just take it apart and go oh that's that's what's inside and then leave it there
1: my dad would so (laughs) um well, you know, I guess, I guess, well, that's, I guess, or um, well, at least I hope that that's a, that's a positive thing. At least I did try and put it back together there. Um, but anyway, the, I worked in, uh, I did my undergraduate in uh, electronics, uh, electrical engineering, and um, I went to see uh, my, then to become PhD advisor, um, who, who was a, a professor Alan Murray at the University of Edinburgh, um, who basically saying, hey, I've got this idea um, on, related to a particular ocean wave energy device, which back in the day was uh, called the Palamis, which is, uh, there's a little bit of information online, um, but ultimately it resembles a sea snake, which is where the name Palamis comes from. But it's effectively a series of railway carriages or things, tubes, the size of a railway carriage that are connected end on end. And so as the wave passes down, it articulates those carriages. and that." Right motion pumps hydraulic fluid through a generator. And so yeah. um, the professor had this idea for, maybe there's a better way to control it. And he put me um, in touch with the company. And um, then I did my PhD for the next uh, four or so years, um, looking out a mechanism for being able to extract more energy from this device using uh, a different control approaches. So that's basically how I got into it. So I graduated from my PhD and then um, worked as uh, in the ocean environment, uh, worked for some consultancies, um, and then ultimately found my way to Acela Power, or should I say Acela Power found me when I was first starting up and um, with this concept. And we built the concept that we have today um, from, basically from scratch from that point.
0: Um, so like growing up as a kid, did you know what you wanted to do or you just wanted to get into the field of? engineering? I mean, like, um, like what, what, did you, what, what did you go to school? What did you go to engineering school for? What was your plan after you graduated?
1: Oh, goodness. No, I, I didn't have plans. That was, that was for other people. I kind of just ended up being kind of... No, I didn't plan anything ahead. I did something that I was personally interested in and quite good at. I, I will I will admit that it wasn't until you know a little bit later after my undergraduate that I realized that there was more to this. Um, you know, after having a couple of crappy jobs after finishing my undergraduate, I was quite, I was much more focused on trying to do something that was, you know, made a difference, which is why the, the wave energy actually really appe- uh, uh, you know, uh, appealed. Um, but actually having a problem solving aspect to it. And actually, that's one of the really that's one of the really big things that motivates me with wave energy is the fact that it is such a difficult technical challenge. Um, but no, not initially. I had no, um, no concept of, of, of ultimate goals other than to just do something interesting. When I was a kid, it was the latest um, that I really kind of focused. Gotcha.
0: Now, do you see yourself now? I mean, obviously, you're an engineer, but do you see yourself as an engineer or an entrepreneur now?
1: Oh, I'm definitely an engineer. I let other people deal with the um, business aspects uh, of this. I want to solve the technical challenges.
0: So this new concept, the acilla power, that you kind of created that, right? That, that, that's right.
1: That's right. So, um, yes, I, sorry. I wasn't sure how best to answer that question, but yes, is the simple answer. <laughs> but what I'm saying is you
0: created this idea.
1: Well, like, not the idea for wave energy in general.
0: That's been well, around. Well, but I mean, this, this new, but this new way of creating electricity,
1: right? With this
0: new device.
1: That's right. So the architecture of the system that we've developed, yes, I, I created that. Um, the, the company as a whole, um, Acilla Power, when it was first formed, was really formed around the idea of a novel mechanism for energy conversion more than being a wave energy company. So the the company initially looked at this principle called reverse magnetostriction, which is without getting into too much detail, but it's the idea of when you apply a force to a particular alloy, it changes its magnetic permeability. Um, So if you can pass um, an electric field through that and then apply a force to change its permeability, you get a changing magnetic. Field, which is a way of generating power. Um, gotcha. So just like you would in a you know in an electric circuit um, or a generator. And so, but they didn't really have a concept for how you extract that force change from the ocean environment. So that's where I came on board. And so we kind of developed the architecture, lots of iteration to start with, lots of sketches on backs of envelopes. And that's where we came up with the current concept, which has three tendons uh connecting a float to a ring below it. But it didn't come straight out of um, an initial concept. We evolved it um, over lots of iterations, over lots of um, different different projects to where it is right now. And so, cause the original concept was the... No, 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 that was nothing to do with me. I, that was just what I did. That was, that was a concept I worked on during my PhD. Okay. Uh, I, I can't claim any responsibility for that
0: concept at all. That was... so, this, so this design was completely, you abandoned, you went, on and created your own completely original design.
1: Yeah, and remember that, you know, what I did during my PhD, there was a gap after that. I worked for about 10 years or so as a consultant. And then when Power joined, or when Power hired me, uh, when they first started, um, they they had very brief, uh, very simple um, concept that doesn't look anything like what we have right now. And then basically, that's when we develop what we have right now. But yes, effectively, we started from a blank slate.
0: It's funny. You're very humble. Now, I'm, now I can tell you're, you're an engineer, not an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, get, I get shouted on You'd be taking credit for all of this. Tech is brought to you by Turbine, the company that's linking the metaverse with the physical world using the Internet of Things. Everything from electric vehicles to smart cities to smart grids and digital twins. Turbine is the largest system of sensor data coming from public infrastructure and commercial sources, all highly curated for uses in areas as diverse as augmented reality, insurance calculations, or guiding delivery drones. Check it out at turbine.com. That's T-E-R-B-I-N-E.com. Turbine, we're taking the pulse of the earth. So tell me a little bit about the actual unit, like the actual mechanism, how it works.
1: Yeah, so we're, we're, the system we've developed is, it's called we're calling the architecture Triton architecture. It, in effect, there is a float that sits on the surface um, that is excited by waves. So the waves move that up and down, left and right. Uh, they roll pitch, all degrees of freedom. Um, and just, and then, it,
0: it, it describe how big is this float? And like, what's it shaped like?
1: So in effect, that's a, so, okay, let me take a quick step back. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at different sizes of system to fit different markets. So the the primary goal here is really grid scale power from ocean waves. Um, That's that's the main prize. Um, And those systems would be about a megawatt of power each. And to generate about that level of power, the system would be about, about 30 meters long, which is um, about, about 100 feet or so, um, and about 20 it's, it's 23 meters wide. Um, now, we're also looking at smaller systems that are maybe half the size of that, that could power remote power at sea, remote communities, um, and, and smaller. And so basically, we have this product called the Triton C, which is about a third that size, so it's about 10 meters long. Um, and that's currently in Hawaii right now.
0: And so now you have this device that floats on the surface of the water
1: yes. and then
0: it's tethered by three cables or three ties yeah. down, down to the actual generator. Is that correct?
1: No, not quite. So let me take okay. a couple of steps back. There are so many different ways of generating power from ocean waves. And that's because the, just the mechanism of the power in the waves isn't the same as wind or, or other forms. So, you know, in, in wind, you have power moving in a flow, and then you mm-hmm. can kind of put something in that flow and you can rotate it. In, in tides, it's the same. You know, the water moves along, you put something in that flow, and you can kind of capture it. With, with waves, the energy is actually just being passed across the surface of the ocean. It doesn't right. flow. You know, it actually, the virtual ocean particles move in circles. And so you need to capture that energy in a different way.
0: And as a result,
1: over the years, people have developed different mechanisms for extracting that energy. And this list is so long. Um, The basic principle that that we're using, or the the starting point, is what's called the two-body wave energy converter. Uh, And so the basic principle is that you would have a body that floats on the surface, and then you have another body that hangs below it, that it reacts against. It doesn't attach to the seafloor, it just reacts against it. And therefore the relative motion of those two bodies is what generates power. Gotcha. Now, you could equally take a body, put it on the surface and attach it to the seafloor. And that would generate power. You could also have two bodies that are also sitting on the surface that react against each other. You could have one that sits on the seafloor and flaps around. Honestly, the list is, is endless. Right, right. Um, ultimately, the system we have is what is, came from the concept of a two body absorber um, now what that means for us is that the float is what's moved by the waves gotcha. and then the reaction body it needs to be as stable as possible now normally in the literature you would see those two bodies represented and connected by a single line that connects those two bodies together and that's the the kind of classic representation of the two-body system a uh, two-body wave energy converter. Um, and what that means is that you know, relative heave motion between those two bodies, uh, vertical motion, is what generates power. Now, the innovation we made here was not to connect one line between those two bodies, but to use three. Now, by having three lines connected between those two, um, you can actually have you know, pitch motion generates relative uh, motion between those two, roll, uh, and basically all six degrees of freedom of the surface flows generates relative motion and then that relative motion is what can be used to turn into electricity. Now, you mentioned the generators a second ago. For us, the generators are all located inside the surface float and the ring is just a dumb mass. And that's that's kind of done deliberately because the idea is we wanna build these as cheap as possible. Now, the, the ring will be made out of concrete now, there's a little bit more to it because you want the ring to be as stable as possible in the wave. So while the float's pulling up and down on it, you want it to be as stable as possible. Um, so we've actually done lots of work, and I've done quite a bit of work with the University of Washington um, as, uh, as well to, to look at what really drives an object in an oscillating flow, like, which is what happens when you're trying to pull it up and down, you're kind of creating this oscillating flow around it. Um, and so we've developed a, it's not actually a flat plate, it's a ring. And okay. the of that ring is a U, um, and there's a particular uh, shape to it. It's called an elliptic logi, which is kind of like a, basically just an ellipse, which actually okay. gives the maximum um, resistance to motion underwater. Interesting. And so that you're so
0: the, the action of these two bodies moving towards each other and then away from each other, that's what's creating the electricity. Correct. And then you have to tether the whole thing to the seafloor, I would imagine. Otherwise, it's just going to float.
1: Yeah, that wouldn't be a good thing. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's held in place with a mooring. That, that would be typical of a, a boat. One, one of the advantages of the system, as opposed to tethering it directly to the seafloor, because people who might hear this comment, they might go, why don't you just attach it to the seafloor? Well, yeah. actually attaching it to the seafloor isn't actually that easy, especially not when you want to create a very Difficult, quite a high force to pull up against, um, right. but we can just use regular anchors to hold it in position. And as the tides change, the whole system moves up and down with the tides. Whereas That's if you anchor right. to the seafloor directly, you have to account for those tides um, right. and the loads on the, the seafloor with the, the, the force of the uh, the motion. So it, it's actually a little bit easier. Obviously, it's more complex in that you have those two bodies and you have to account for that. Um, But it's always trade-offs. Gotcha.
0: Now, how long have people been trying to harness the power of the ocean to turn it into electricity?
1: Oh, an extremely long time. Uh, If you look back, you'll find that the first patent, I think, on wave energy was, I think, in 1799. Um, And people, so basically, wave energy predates the electricity. Yeah. Um, But you'll find, yeah, you'll find wave, uh, sorry, you'll find, um, you know, Tidal energy also has been around for hundreds, almost a thousand years. Um, and wind as well predates history, in fact. So initially, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, so,
0: and so when did this idea to try to convert it into electricity, when did that come about?
1: You know, I think about the time when electricity became popular. You know, They were looking for all sorts of mechanisms to be able to, to create electricity. You know, some of the first um, power generators, of course, were hydropower. Um, and then, you know, you even had like wind turbines. So around the end of the uh, 1800s, um, any mechanism for a ro- to create something that would rotate was being used to generate electricity.
0: Um, yeah. And they were,
1: certainly on the US West Coast, there were things called wave rotors, um, where people were kind of experimenting with, with strange wooden structures that would rotate something and then break inevitably because um, otherwise we'd be having wave energy right now but the, the big challenge with waves is that there's this huge variability um, and so being able to manage those extreme waves as well as the ones that are happening all of the time um, efficiently is extremely difficult yeah and like how do you deal with let's say big giant
0: storms or big you know tsunamis what would what,
1: and, right. and hope it doesn't break <laughs> um, no, no, nobody listen to that. No. Um, well, we have a, we've developed a strategy whereby we can limit the loads on the system. And we do that through ballasting in, in, this, in our technology. Um, I, a lot of other technologies do it in different ways, but the real goal in a storm is actually to avoid the energy. So, you know, the amount of energy that's imparted on the system, um, and it's given typically in watts per meter so if you imagine a wave being like a linear progression along, lot like a very like a lovely wave that you see on uh, the beach each meter of that has a certain amount of energy and normal waves um you know the average energy in a wave on the us west coast might be about 20 20 kilowatts which is a lot um, per meter of wave um in some like tropical islands it might be down to like five kilowatts not very big waves uh maybe even less it's still quite a bit of energy now, when you're in a storm with big waves, you could be looking as much as a megawatt of energy in just one meter. So, what do you do with that? You know, this is coming towards your device that's maybe <laughs> 10, 10 meters wide, let's say, rather. Right. So you've got a megawatt <laughs> per meter that's impacting your device. You've got to do something with that energy. And I think that that's often kind of like not fully appreciated. And right. you can't just absorb it and, you know, and then worry about it afterwards because you put 10 megawatts into kind of your structure, it's going to break. Yeah. And so you've got one, you've got one option here, which is you just build it as big and as heavy as possible, which is the oil and gas group, group, you know, but that gets expensive. And that's fine. If you're building an oil and gas platform, because, you know, your fuel, you know, the, the oil that you're pulling out of the ground, it's like extremely valuable per unit mass, but right. Waves aren't, you know, the energy we're getting is coming from waves, and that has a much lower energy density than, say, oil. So that sort of cost-effectiveness is extremely important. So we can't afford to take that route. So we need to take a different route. So we need to avoid that incident energy. Now, lots of different devices use lots of different approaches. But in our case, what we try and do is we actually ballast the system. So we take on water, so it lowers down in the water column. So it's uh-huh. the water surface and that yeah. means it actually has a what we call very 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 minimal um uh, buoyant force so it's kind of just it's very easy to move up and down Requires very little force so when, when a wave kind of comes and tries to to move it the wave mostly passes over the top of it and then it doesn't actually impose large forces on it so it allows us to uh, minimize the loads but actually yeah. one, of the, one of the cool things is that it actually also allows us to continue to generate. So, so some approaches uh, other people, uh, other companies have used, for example, um, might have it um, completely change configuration or perhaps have it um, go like flat to the sea floor. One approach, for example, there's some waved energy devices that, that flat backwards and forwards. And in a storm, they would just lie flat with the, the sea floor. So right. Pass over the top. But it's like snorkeling.
0: It's like snorkeling versus scuba diving. I, I don't know if you've ever done either, but it's like when you're snorkeling, you're on the surface and you're getting thrashed around if you're in a big storm. But as soon as you go below the surface, it's like it's the most peaceful.
1: You know, you're not dealing with those giant waves. That is definitely part of it, uh, for sure. And actually, the, the, the concept that you mentioned about the fact that as you go down, the waves get less affected or if they have less effect on you. That's the reason why the two body system works because as soon as you go down below a certain point, that ring is in calm water. Even though the waves on top are moving around, the ring is in calm water. So the relative motion between the water is quite high.
0: Interesting.
1: Now, once you have that electricity
0: building up, how do you get that to the grid?
1: Big extension cord. (laughs) No. Yes. Seriously? (laughs) Yeah. So. Obviously, it's not something you would buy at, you know, at kind of a home improvement store. No, oh, I know, but I, I don't
0: know. For some reason, I was thinking maybe you guys were like charging batteries, but so you're literally tethered to the grid yeah. to the device.
1: Yeah, so if we kind of take the example of a, you know, a, a large farm of these devices, you, something where you're talking about adding a substantial amount of grid capacity to the grid, you know, 100 megawatts, 50 megawatts, something like that, maybe, maybe much more than that. You, what's going to happen is each of those individual devices—they'll be about a megawatt or so each. Um, it's very similar to the way offshore wind works. In fact, it's exactly the same as the way offshore wind works. They all kind of have an electric power cable that comes off that to a substation that's sitting offshore, and then one big cable that goes underground or, you know, uh, along the seafloor and then underground to the uh, through the shore crossing and then connects to the grid physically.
0: Now, are you concerned at all with boats? I mean, that seems to be like an obvious hazard for them.
1: That's so, actually. I think if you have one device sitting on its own in an isolated location, you perhaps have some risk. Um, But even in that case, you would generally follow Coast Guard regulations, which would require you to, like, paint it with various different uh, navigation lanes on it. Plus, you have... um, AIS beacons, which kind of make sure that it appears on people's radars, so it's not so much of an issue. It's more of an issue is actually trying to identify a location that doesn't interfere with all of these competing marine use, uses, such as fishing and shipping lanes, and all of the other things that that, that the that people do in the ocean. So um, there are locations. There's lots of locations for these um, systems, but um, you know. Identifying them does involve making sure all of those um, people get um, involved in the, dis- the the decision. But got for biggest system, systems where you've got like you know a large area, you know this is this is not something that you know is going to be located next to a shipping lane. Gotcha. Um, and you know it's going to be barely obvious what's here. So I don't right. see that much of a risk when you get to big farms. And,
0: and what is the average distance off the shore that you are placing these?
1: So that's a really, that's a good question, but it's, a, you know, how long is a piece of string? So the, the, the way we kind of identify that is, you know, what's the water depth? You know, it has to be above a certain water depth, uh, maybe, mm-hmm. say 50 meters or so, because as you get closer to shore, um, the energy reduces because the waves start to feel the bottom and then the energy in them reduces. So you want it to be good, Um, You also want it to be as close to shore as possible because you don't want a longer cable than you need. So that's a cost trade off. So every location is gonna have a different balance of those things, you know? Um, So it's tough to say, you know, you might imagine that they would be a few miles offshore, but it's difficult to be more precise than that.
0: So you're you're not gonna, I mean, I can imagine people would be picturing them on the beach, you know, being at the beach and just seeing all these things in the waves.
1: Not at all, no. And and, you know, there are other companies looking at putting devices very near shore. Um, Personally, I think that's kind of asking for trouble um, from an environmental perspective. Um, But yeah, there are people that are proposing to put devices very close to shore. Um, For the technology we're developing, it it has to be in at least 50 meters of water, typically 100. and then you, you know, that's going to be at least a few miles offshore. So, um, you know, you're not going to see it from the sh- shoreline. And also, right. thing to note as well, the visibility of these systems is extremely low. So, you know, unlike a wind turbine that sits many hundreds of feet above the ocean, uh, these sit maybe one or two feet above the ocean. Uh, and then obviously there will be a mask with a light on that would make sure that they can be, you know, seen from mm-hmm. a navigational um, uh, perspective. But um uh, you know, Minimal, very minimal visibility. Yeah, so from the shore, I
0: mean, you, would, you probably not, wouldn't even be able to see it.
1: I wouldn't think so.
0: Now, are you getting, you, you brought up the point of environmental issues, are you getting any pushback from environmentalists?
1: Not so much. Um, in fact, we had to go through, for the system that's currently in Hawaii, we had to go through a permitting process. Um, and you know we engaged with all the different agencies um, to do that, and they were very impressed with the work that we had done. And you know, really, it's very again very much dependent on the device itself, because like I say, the devices all look a little bit different. Um, mm-hmm. And so certainly we went through that detailed process, and we had no pushback um, at that on that. Um, any. Different location where we would install a system, we would have to go through that process as well. Um, I don't, I honestly can't comment too much for other developers, um, but I can say that we're still in a very early stage. You know, there aren't really anybody who's planning to put these devices out there yet, other than perhaps in test locations. Um, there is a test location off the Oregon coast called PackWave. And that's been going through um, a very comprehensive environmental study, looking at the potential impacts of these devices. And there's a number of studies that have been done that really identify potential issues due to ocean wave energy devices. And the general consensus is that there is very minimal impact as a result of these um, devices. And when you compare it to the, um, the environmental impact from even something like a boat uh, or mm-hmm. current anthropogenic kind of uses, that's much higher. You know, the, the, the noise, right. pollution, um, um, and, and, you know, even just propeller strikes that you get from existing marine traffic is, is way order of magnitude higher than you would get from um, ocean wave energy devices.
0: That's interesting.
1: Now, do you, like, how, how efficient are these devices? And, you know, I knew you were going to ask about efficiency, um, and efficiency is a really weird one um, to, to ask about because it, it doesn't quite work in the way you think it does. Okay. Um, but to answer the question in a, in a simplistic way, um, first is that our system, in terms of the the what we call wave to wire efficiency, as in the mechanical energy that's captured to the mm. electrical energy that's provided, we have you know something in the order of seventy five percent efficiency. Now, the, the bit where this gets interesting, let's say, and so that would be the typical answer. You know, you, you might answer that question that way. But I, I know you kind of want a more of a detailed answer here. But so how efficient is it getting the energy from the wave into the device? Now that's there's no easy way to answer that one, actually. And that's, and that's um, and that's because it's all about different waves have different periods and they have different frequencies. And, Right. In an individual sea state, it comprises of lots of different, um, lots of different waves. And that's why when you look out at the ocean, it looks kind of all muddled and it's kind of mixed right. up, because it's a combination of different frequencies. Now, every one of those wave heights and wave periods will have a different effect on the device, and they will have different effectively capture efficiencies. And so it's difficult to actually have a single efficiency for a device. And so we yeah. tend to measure it in terms of a matrix. So you would have on one column, you would have the wave height, and on another column, you would have the, the, the wave period. And then at any combination of those two points, which is an average, um, mm-hmm. you would then be able to choose uh, you know, the particular efficiency. So it's, it's not a simple answer. It's a little bit like a wind turbine. You have a power curve as the wind blows faster, it gets right. different efficiency. Um, exactly.
0: Yeah, no, I was imagining that it would be similar also with solar panels, right? If, if the solar panel is getting hit by a lot of sunlight, it's gonna be more efficient than if it is cloudy or whatever.
1: Uh, it's the same way, except it's more complicated because we have this additional parameter in and the fact that, you know, in an individual sea state, the um, it comprises multiple different periods anyway. Now, so,
0: so if you had a beach house, you wouldn't necessarily put one of these off the shore to power your house? You
1: could, if you so had you enough. You could. Why not, why not? I mean, I would love the idea of, you know, first of all, being able to afford some sort of, um, you know, beach right. house be fantastic. Maybe you're, Or maybe you're a billionaire and you had your own private island and you just surrounded oh, them. let's do it, let's do it. Let's do, put a farm of them out there and then sell the power to the grid. That's, that's, that'd be the plan. You know, you could be your own power developer. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, in principle, there's nothing stopping you doing that. Um, And the idea of the the smaller systems, like the Triangle C that we're developing in Hawaii is specifically for that application, actually. Um, So, you know, 100 kilowatts um, for a small community um, in a remote island in Alaska. This could be actually a good proposition for them, because maybe right now they're actually flying in diesel for their power generation, which, you know, some of these locations they're paying, you know, when you you know, calculate it all out, perhaps over a dollar per kilowatt hour, um, which is insane. And, you know, being able to generate power from the waves, even if it's a little more expensive than, um, you know, um, other sources, um, it's still cheaper than maybe a dollar per kilowatt hour, we hope so. Otherwise we should probably stop right now. Um, but, you know, yeah, that's, that's, the, um, that's the idea there for the small communities. And then I take that a step further, uh, if you have some sort of um, remote application, like monitoring application, for example, um, your options are super limited about where you can get your power from. Mm-hmm. So you can maybe maybe have solar panels. The problem is solar panels don't always work so well out at sea. In some locations, they're good. If you don't need a lot of power, they, they work well, and they're really one of the only choices you have. Um, but you know they get fouled by birds, quite frequently and that massively reduces the power output um right. so you know the alternatives are batteries and then you need to get a boat to come out there to chip change for batteries and then you know that's massive cost as well so you can have small wave energy generation to provide power for these oceanographic platforms and that, yeah. that's another area that we're working on at the very small scale to try and solve that problem in fact we have a few good solutions uh, for that one right now this podcast is brought to you by Turbine, the company that's
0: linking the physical and digital worlds using the Internet of Things. Turbine is the largest system of sensor data from around the world, powering everything from electric vehicles to improved air quality and self driving big rigs. Check it out at turbine.com. That's T E R B I N E.com. Turbine, we're taking the pulse of the earth. And how do you deal with the corrosion? Because I know seawater is very corrosive. And when you have moving parts in the water, that, that tends to become a, a big issue.
1: It is, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, it is one of the challenges working on. One of the ways to get around that is to move towards composites. And so we can kind of avoid corrosion by avoiding using metal, but you can't avoid it everywhere. Yeah. And so, you know, we, For the holes of the systems, we are looking at using fiberglass composites um, to be able to do that. Um, We have, um, you know, concrete as the reaction structure. That's kind of a long history of being used underwater. Um, And then any exposed metal parts, and there are some, um, we really have to be very careful about material choice. There are certain kind of duplex stainlesses that are very good um, underneath, underwater in salt water. Um, Hmm. and then there's, you know, it's not impossible to kind of imagine using paint. Paints are, you know, been used forever in the marine industry to paint regular yeah. steel holes. And you can yeah. put, um, you know, corrosion protection systems on to mitigate that. Um, so that, that's, for example, the system we have in Hawaii is just a regular steel hull, And we have, uh, you know, it's painted, it has anti-fouling, and then it also has um, anti-corrosion um, protection with um, a cathodic protection type system, which mitigates the, 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 the rust. But that's a very different case because that's a, that's a prototype, you know? Yeah. It's not designed for yeah. 20 years in the ocean, let's say without moving.
0: And how, how soon do you see this being a commercial product or, you know, a viable product?
1: So that's, that's a really the that's, that's the magic question, isn't it? Um, yeah. So I think it depends on the size and scale. Um, you know, we are very close to being able to produce smaller systems for specific applications that are, you know, viable, you know, one to two years away from being able to produce a system, a very small system that can provide power for a oceanographic application. Um, we have a system right now um, in, um, in Hawaii that's for, a, again, oceanographic community scale type application that, you know, once it's proven in Hawaii, we'll be able to produce multiple units of that. So again, a year to two years away from being able to actually sell these units commercially. Now, grid scale power is a different matter. Now, that's going to be a few years away um, because the cost to develop the prototypes is so high um, that, you know, you need that investment in order to be able to prove out the technology before you have you know the utility or the independent power provider take a gamble and say oh i'm going to spend this huge amount of money in building the first wave farm yeah um, sure i mean that that's 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 the obstacle smaller stuff it's more affordable people are willing to take the risk bigger stuff much much more difficult uh to get people to take a risk gotcha uh,
0: what do you see the future of this technology like which like where do you see this technology going directionally?
1: So, yeah, that's, I, I think the, I'm gonna answer the question in a different way if, if I could. I think, what do I, how do I see kind of why ocean energy being used? And I see that ocean wave energy is a complementary resource to our existing renewable resources. It's not okay. a solution by itself. You have, you go, you have solar. Solar's fantastic as yeah. you know, Wind is fantastic and we're going to continue to invest and have that as a big part of the energy mix. The problem with solar and wind on their own is that they don't provide 24 seven renewables. You've got to fill that gap in somehow. And right. so ocean waves can do that uh, or at least provide a big step towards that. Right now, the solution would be you have solar, you have wind and therefore and you, you have big batteries and you know, the batteries fill in when the wind and solar can't. So, what you can do is you can add wave into the mix there because a lot of times it's generating power at alternative, you know, complementary times to, to wind and solar. Um, and therefore, by adding wave generation into that, you reduce the need for storage. Yeah. And you get to 24 7 renewables. So, so, ultimately, I see ocean wave energy as just being a part of a mix of renewables. Um, And I do see, ultimately, it being a utility level. Um, You know, I see big farms of hundreds of megawatts, ultimately. Um, I don't necessarily see our coasts being covered by them, but I see them, there are certain areas where there's high wave generation, where it makes economic sense, um, and it can provide a big contribution to the grid. And that's ultimately where I see the future.
0: That's awesome. I mean, do you picture a day where we will have completely, you know, sustainable green energy where
1: it's just like I would love to. I mean, I mean that would be fantastic. Like, isn't it?
0: All this all this energy we have on earth where we wouldn't have to, you know, burn oil or burn coal or whatever, where it's just like it's just completely sustainable.
1: Yeah, I would like I would love to think about that. And I, I would love to, to believe that we can be there one day within our lifetimes. Um, I, I think that's unlikely if you look at the speed of adoption. But maybe I mean, we're certainly trying to work towards it. Yeah, awesome. That is awesome. Well, Tim,
0: thank you so much for, for coming on and talking about this. This is really awesome stuff you're doing.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure.